are more than just a fan. A fan just watches from the sidelines. A fan is late to the bandwagon and leaves when things aren't looking good. Not you. You will do anything and everything to help your team win. You proudly wear your colors at all times because you're not just a fan, you are a fanatic. Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Can we welcome our Appleton campus, our online campus, Germantown campus? We're beginning this brand new series, More Than a, than a Fan. And uh, if you know J.C. Crawford, who is the, the kind of the guy that's featured in that, that's just J.C., like straight up. A couple years ago, I was at Lambeau Field. It was a Monday night football game. And, um, and it's snowing, and, and so uh, it was uh, the Atlanta Falcons. We won, beat the Dirty Birds. And, uh, and so um, long story short, I'm looking down, and I'm seeing somebody. Again, it's snowing, right? It's December in Green Bay, and a guy is shirtless, which is not, like, uncommon, right? And, and, but full paint on. And I'm like, I know that person. That's Jason Crawford. And so we're, and so I was with some of the guys and said, text him, see if that's him. And so he replies, yeah, that's me. And, you know, he's doing all this. And so somewhere on Facebook, there's a picture of JC. I didn't want to start your morning that way, shirtless with paint on. But anyhow, so, um, but uh, if you know JC, that's it. We're excited about this new series uh, called More Than a Fan. And, uh, and so today I want to, to begin this series. And we're going to kind of just simply ask a question today that we're going to process through the entire message. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn me to John's Gospel, chapter 3. John, chapter 3. Uh, the message today that I'm going to talk to you about is just simply DTR, define the relationship. Define the relationship. What I'm going to ask you today is when it comes to your relationship with Christ, define your relationship. And I know DTR is typically applied to like, are we in love or not in love? Remember when it was simple? Number one, it was simple. It was not complicated. Technology didn't bother. Like, you know, it was like, do you like me, yes or no? And then there was a box for maybe, right? <laughs> Anybody else, you know, like in, I grew up high school in the 80s, and like you would like actually write notes, not text, but write them, paper and pencil. I know that's archaic. And, uh, or with a pen, right? And, you were, and then you, in between classes, you would pass notes and stick them in lockers, the vents. That's what the vents were for, right? <laughs> Amen? And so, come on, we shout about passing notes in high school. And so, so you would do that, and, and you, it was pretty simple. Well, and, and I, I kind of feel like I'm a little bit of a, like, kind of up on things, but I'm 44. I'll be 45 my birthday, and there are days where I feel like, man, I am, like, I'm pretty hip. You know, I'm not like my old man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, like, cut the grass and, like, a wife beater and sands belt slacks that are cut off and, and embarrass my kids. I embarrass my kids, but on purpose. You know, there's a difference. Yeah, it is my job. Thank you, George Ann. <laughs> It's one of the blessings of being a parent. It's like, I know this is really going to drive them nuts, so I'm going to do this. And, and what's really funny is my girls, they're like, they realize at this stage in the ballgame, I really don't care. 
Like we can be in a mall or in a shopping mall, and if they're going to have a complete meltdown, I, I don't care what the people at Nordstrom's think. I don't care what the people at the restaurant think. I, 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 I don't care. I lost. I quit caring a long time ago. And so anyhow, so they're like, Dad, don't, don't, don't. So there are days where I feel really hip and days that I don't feel that hip. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not with, with cell phones. And, I mean, I remember getting my first cell phone, 1994. I remember seeing the first cell phone. Bobby Ewing had it on Dallas. Anybody? Driving I-75 into downtown Dallas from South Fork and had the big bag phone, right? It was like a, just like a, right? And, and so it goes to these cell phones. So today, it's like, and, and it's like you have a full-blown computer in your hand. And like you kids just don't get this. I mean, I'm just telling you. Yeah. The, and so, and for me, I remember the first time I saw somebody text. I was like, that is the stupidest thing in the world. Why would you text somebody when you could just call them and talk to them? I get it. Ten years later, I'm texting all the time. Don't call me. Text me. You need me. Text me. I can text anywhere in the world virtually for free, but I can't pick up a phone and get phone. I can get phone service or, or cellular service, but I can't. I, 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 it's just easier to text. And, and so, and today, conversations are completely nonverbal. Like, I talk to my girls and I'm like, hey, are you, you, you don't ever talk to anybody. I do all the time, Dad. No, no, I mean, I'm like, I don't ever hear you. Because, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, you had like, like there was, you know, you had the one rotary phone, right, in the kitchen. Remember? AT&T, Southwestern Bell, whatever it was, wherever you were. And so, yeah, some of you, Bell Telephone, remember that? So, anyhow, and it was like these colors, like avocado green and like harvest gold. And, you know, it was all of these colors. And so, uh, and, then, and then you would get like a longer cord, right? Because you had to walk around so you could talk to somebody. Because you didn't want to say, I love you in front of your younger brother or sister. Or they'd be like, wow, I got you. And it was all of that. And So then your parents got a phone in their room. And then you got like a 100-foot extension cord, right, phone line. Remember that? Some of you are with me. Some of you are going, I have no idea what he's talking about. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, just don't even say anything right now. So, and you'd go into your room and you'd sit and you'd talk and you'd talk. And then cordless phones came out. Sony brought out the cordless phone. It was like, oh. It just changed your life because you could go anywhere virtually in the house. You could talk and have all your private conversations and all that kind of stuff. Like, you, you girls don't talk. And so they're talking by texting, which, again, I just, I don't. But they say my texts are so big, the font's so big, because I can't see anymore, that it's like, you know, Tammy's like, do you do that on an airplane? Because I'm telling you, six rows back, they can see everything that you're saying. I'm like, yeah, that's me. That's what I do woman. So anyhow, so I'm doing this and oh, she lines me out. Don't, don't worry about that. So I'm saying then with texting and with technology and with everything else in conversation and blah, 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 and all of this kind of stuff, we have all these little, what they're called initialisms, right? So there are these letters that come together that form something like LOL, laugh out loud, right? Or JK, just kidding. OMG, oh my God. Uh, and then there's others that I won't say, right? So, uh, and but how many times has somebody texted me, like, in shorthand, and I'm like, I have no idea what this means. So I have to go, like, Siri knows more about it than I do, right? Siri, what does? And sometimes I don't want to know because there's images and things that come up, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, I didn't know what that, you know. This means da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, okay, here we go. And so DTR has been one of those, those initialisms that basically kind of define the relationship. Where do you stand on this? Where do you stand on that? That's what I want to talk about today. I, I just want to ask you a real simple question. When it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ, define the relationship. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you a fan 
Like, you know who Jesus is, and you're cool with Jesus, and probably so because you're here today, unless you lost a bet or your parents won't get off your back about coming to church or whatever it may be, spouse, whatever. You're here. Um, but are you a follower? Because there's a difference. There's a lot of people in churches today that are fans. Uh, Jesus is kind of like an upgrade. Jesus is kind of like something you do. Jesus is something that kind of gets you out of hell. Jesus is something that you need to be affiliated with something. Um, you were raised this way. People will answer this question when I ask them this. Are you, you know, a follower of Jesus Christ? Yeah, I'm Catholic. I didn't ask you what, what denominational affiliation you are. Because in the Christian world, it's Protestant or Catholic. So within Catholicism, there is Catholicism. It's one church. And then within Protestantism, there is denominations. Not different faiths, denomination. They all come back to God the Father, through the triune Godhead of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus being the Son. Oh, yeah, man, I was, I, was, I was confirmed Lutheran. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Is Jesus something you just do on Sunday or Christmas and Easter? Or is he with you when you go to the plant and you work on Tuesday? Is he with you on your travel schedule when you're going to meet clients on Wednesday afternoon? Is he with you at your office as you're doing your work on Monday morning? Is he with you when you're taking your kids to school? Is he going with you to school? Is he a part of your life? Or is he, are you just a fan? Like, yeah, it's, when it's convenient, when it works, I'm here. You know, we don't have a kickoff till 7.30 tonight, so I'm here. It's a good day, right? Fan or follower? DTR, define the relationship. This isn't a question that, that you have to answer to me. It's a question that I think that I want you to ask of yourself. There's a guy named Nicodemus in Scripture He's mentioned three times. It's all in the Gospel of John. And uh, he has this, this same quandary. He has the same issue. This is the interesting thing to me. The issues that we face in the 21st century are not new. They're not new with you or with me. They're part of humanity. They're part of the human race. And so he's wrestling with this issue. Am I a fan or am I a follower? Now, Nicodemus was a part of the, he was a, he was a Pharisee. So a Pharisee was a teacher of the law. And what you have to understand, and this is, going to make, this is going to have some great significance here in just a minute, so just kind of track with me. The way we do church uh, and government in the United States is a separation of church and state. Now, we define that in different ways in different eras of time. But it's the ideology of that there should be freedom of religion. So anybody can worship any way they please. Because we came from England... Uh, our forefathers did, and in, and in doing so, uh, there was a combination. There was, there was a state church, and there was government, and they were one and the same. That ideology, that type of governance model, actually comes all the way back to the Old Testament. That's where it comes from. So the Old Testament, God was, uh, when he instituted the law, the book of Leviticus, which is the Old Testament, he institutes the law through Moses, and he appoints a high priest, Aaron. Aaron is the first high priest. He's Moses' brother. He'll be the one that will be God's voice to the people. He'll be the one that will, that will atone for the sins, that will take the, the, the sacrifices and take them unto God and will atone for the sins of Israel every, every year. We know that Jesus is later called the great high priest. He's the one that ultimately atones for all of our sins. But so there is this, there's this high priest. And that's all really what, how God wanted to do it. He wanted to run everything through the... Church. He wanted to run everything through the high priest. He wanted to run everything. He wanted to be their God and their king. 
But Israel began to look around at other nations and said, well, this nation, you know, uh, they, they have the Philistines have a, have a king, and, and the Nebusites have a king, and the Jebusites have a king, and the Termites have a king. You ever thought about that in the Old Testament, all the ites? And so all these people have kings, and so we want a king too. We want to be like everybody else. So Samuel, who was the high priest at the time, He's a man of God. The voice of God begins to try to reason with the people of Israel, and they won't reason. And he goes before God, and he says, God, they want a king. And God says to Samuel, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me. So if they want a king, tell them what it will cost them. He'll take a portion of their land. He'll, it'll be taxation. It'll be all of these things that will happen on top of them bringing the tithe into the storehouse. And this is what we'll do. And so God allowed for a two Basically a two-leader system where you have a high priest, the church, and you have a, you, you have a king, which is the state. And so, so in that point in time, Samuel was the high priest. Uh, he was the, the voice of God and the man of God, and Saul was the first king of Israel. Interesting, when it comes back to Jesus, it's one. He's the high priest, and he's the king of kings. Why? Because that's God's original design and plan. Now, I'm saying all that to say... In the first century, so from the time of David and Saul all the way into the first century, there was the governance model was of the nation of Israel. Even though they were under the occupancy of Rome, the way Rome would occupy a given people is they would not, they, they would allow them to govern themselves. They would allow them to worship their own gods and do their own things and have their own customs as long as it didn't exalt itself before Caesar. And they had to pay taxes under Rome. If they didn't exalt themselves before Caesar and they, and they paid their taxes, no, no problem. You can do whatever the heck you want to do. So Israel is basically being ruled by a high priest. And this time in the first century under Jesus, it was Caiaphas and a king who was Herod. Now, Herod's really not his name. Herod was more of a name kind of like uh, Uncle Sam. It's just kind of a, it was kind of a title that was given to the person that held the office. And so there are these two individuals, Herod and Caiaphas, the high priest and the king during this time. And so those who were the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and part of the governance, the Sadducees, were coming together together, and they governed the people. Nicodemus is one of these people. He's not only someone who is, who is, who is a part of, of the council of the church, but he's also someone who is a part of the governance structure. And so he has power. And John chapter 7, verse 50, talks about how he's a member of this, of this governing body. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, was one of their own number. He was a Pharisee, so he was a teacher of the law. The Bible says he was prominent. So he wasn't just an average status quo Pharisee. No, he was a leader among leaders. It defined him as a leader among his peers. Jesus said he was, Jesus described him as he was respected among the other teachers of the law. It's a pretty big deal. This is the upper echelon. This is the, this, is, this is the one percenters of their day. These are the power brokers. That's who Nicodemus was because church and state were together. It would have also meant that because of who he was, and we kind of denote this in, in, in the writings of John, that Nicodemus would have been around Jesus. Now, this is important for all of us to understand because sometimes I think we just think in our brain, Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years. So the story of Jesus is told in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. That that's all there is to know about Jesus. The Bible says we don't have enough room in this world to contain the books of everything that Jesus said and did while he was on the planet. We kind of have the cliff notes. We kind of have a good summary. We kind of have an abridged, you know, an abridged version of what's happening. We have what we need to know. 
What that means is there were conversations, there were interactions, there were things happening that Peter, excuse me, that, that, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John could not completely get everything. They all have a different perspective, but they couldn't. And here's what I want you to understand. So in the first century, because of all the conversations that the religious ruling body of the day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, Nicodemus would have been named and numbered in them, according to John's Gospel, chapter 7. They were listening to Jesus. They were watching Jesus. They were around. They were paying attention because they were questioning him after he was done. So Nicodemus was around. He was watching Jesus speak. He was watching the miracle signs and wonders. He, he was watching when he healed the lame. He was listening to what he was said. He was astute. He understood the law. Understand this. Nicodemus, from rote memory, could recite the entire first five books of the Old Testament from memory. These are highly intelligent, high-capacity people. You ever been around somebody who you go, whoa, man, their bandwidth is way bigger than mine. That's Nicodemus. And he's factoring through this. And what's happening is he's trying to go from a head knowledge because that's what that takes. And, and, and he's, but it's, his heart is being, is being really pulled along, and he's trying to rectify all of this. And they're having conversations, and there's sidebars about what's going on and the popularity of Jesus. And, and again, the, 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 there, there's this whole political undertow that, that's, that's, under, that's going on and all of this. And, and these religious leaders of the day were looking for a Messiah. They hated being under Roman rule, and they were looking for someone. And they thought that the Messiah would come and would relieve them in a political way and would revolt them against the nation or against the occupancy of Rome. They didn't understand the spiritual aspect and connotation to it because they looked at everything so logically that they forgot the heart part of it. So Nicodemus is around. He's paying attention. All this stuff is going on. And he interacts with Jesus. And we have John's record of that conversation. And so what I want to do today is I want to read that to you. I'm going to read it in the message transliteration because it's much more conversational. But I want you to listen to what's going on. I want you to know the two players, Nicodemus and Jesus, as they're conversing. John's Gospel, chapter number 3, starting in verse 1. And there was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night, he visited Jesus. Not in the daytime, not public, doesn't want anybody to know. Rabbi, we all know that you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts that you do if, you, if God weren't in on it. So he's talking about the miracles, signs, and wonders. He was there when he fed the 5,000. He was there for blind Bartimaeus. He was there. Do you understand? He's watching all this and seeing this. That's what he's alluding to. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it is not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. Nicodemus says, how can anyone be born who's already been born and grown up? You can't reenter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with this born from above talk? Again, Nicodemus, highly cerebral, very intelligent. He's trying to process this in the head. And Jesus is trying to get it to go to the heart. Jesus says, verse 5, you're not listening. I love that. See, because we have these paintings of Jesus where he's this passive sissy of a man. It's not who he was. You ever been around a carpenter, someone that actually not just runs the job site, but actually builds construction? You ever shook, shook their hands? They're man's hands. And, 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 they're, and, and there are calluses. And there's, there's the build of a man that can, that can work and that can go all day long in the heat. Jesus just looks at him and says, you're not listening to me. Let me say it again. 
Bueller, let's see if you get this a second time. That's what he's saying. Unless a person submits to the original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation. He's referring to Genesis chapter 1 where the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. The invisible moving the visible. A baptism into new life. It's not possible to enter into God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, uh, it's just that, a body that you can look at and that you can touch. But the person who takes shape within that baby is formed by something that you cannot see, that you cannot touch. That's the Spirit, and it becomes a living Spirit. Again, he's going from the head, the physical, to the heart. Verse 7. So don't be surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above, or your Bible, your version may say born again. Out of the world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where the wind comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone, quote-unquote, born from above, by the wind of God and by the Spirit of God. Nicodemus asks, what do you mean by this? How does this happen? Look at Jesus, verse 10. You're a respected teacher of Israel, and you don't know these basics? Listen carefully. I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak of only what I know by experience. I give witness. He's, he's, what he's doing, and Nicodemus understands this, he's saying, I was there when God spoke the world into existence. I was there when he breathed life into man. I was there when he flung the stars into the sky. I was there when he shaped the water. I was there. That's what he's communicating to him. He says, I only give witness to what I've seen with my eyes. There's nothing secondhand here. There's no hearsay. Yet instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate, Nicodemus, with questions. Again, cerebral, mental, instead of going to the heart. If I tell you these things that are plain as the hand before your face and you don't believe me, what use is there telling you the things that you cannot see, the things of God? If you don't get the obvious, Captain Obvious, then how are you going to get the spiritual, the things you can't see? That's what he's saying. Verse 16, this is how much that God loved the world, that he gave his son, his one and only son. This is why, so that no one need to be destroyed, that by believing in him, anyone can have whole and lasting life. God didn't go into all the trouble to send his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help. He came to put the world right again. For anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Every, anyone who refuses to trust him as long as been under the, the, the death sentence, Without knowing it. And why? Because a person's failure to believe in the one of a kind son of God when introduced to him. This is the crisis that we're all in, Jesus said. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they really weren't interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and the illusion, hates God and hates light and won't come near it but a, but because they fear a painful exposure. But anyone working and living in the truth and the reality works God light so that the work can be seen for God for the work that it is. Now, it's interesting, John 3, 16, the most quoted verse in Scripture. Jesus doesn't preach it in a message. It's in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. The only place in Scripture where Jesus talks about being born again is in John's Gospel, chapter 3. No other place. I mean, this is the most self-revealing, confrontational, brass tacks, here's where it is, bottom line conversation. Because what he understands is that Nicodemus is hanging around on the outskirts. And Nicodemus wants to be friends with Jesus, but he doesn't want to give up his political power. He, he doesn't want to give up his day job. And so he comes to Jesus in the night. And Jesus calls him on this. 
And he says, you keep procrastinating by asking these questions. You keep prolonging this by trying to twist this and flip this because you're looking at it completely from your mind. And unless you're going to allow your heart and the spirit that raised Christ, that will raise Christ from the dead, dwell in you, Nicodemus, it's of no value. Because you've got all the head knowledge. You're a fan, but you don't have a heart knowledge. You're not a follower. You're watching me do all of these things. And everything I'm doing lines up with the law. I don't break one piece of the law. Yet, you can't seem to reconcile it because it's of the Spirit. It's like the wind. You know it's there, you feel it, and you see it, but you have no control over it. And it scares you. And he's confronting Nicodemus. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Quit procrastinating. For God so loved you, Nicodemus, that he gave me, his one and only son, that whoever would believe in me would not perish but would have everlasting life. For God didn't send me into this world to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. The next time and the last time in the scripture that we see Nicodemus recorded is in John's Gospel, chapter 19. He was there when Jesus dies. Look at this. Verse 38, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate. Pilate was the reigning uh, leader of the Roman Empire in in Jerusalem for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. I love that declarative statement. John's telling us he's a fully devoted follower of Jesus. But secretly, he feared, because he feared the Jewish leaders, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. So he's smart, but he's not in denial. There's there's no denial here. Look at verse 39. And he was accompanied by Nicodemus. Look at it. Not a disciple of Jesus. The man who had visited Jesus at night. Undercover. Fan. Not a follower. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Here's what you need to understand. Nicodemus, that would have been about a, a year's wage. So he brought a $100,000 gift. He's going to pay for the burial. It's what powerful people that don't want to go public with their faith do. They try to write a check. And they took the body of Jesus, the two of them. They wrapped it with spices, put strips of linen. And this is in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. You go, man, that's a little harsh. Fan or follower? I'm not his judge. When we get to heaven, we'll know, is Nicodemus there or not, right? I mean, it's going to be pretty obvious. Um, But Scripture never records Nicodemus being a disciple of Jesus nor of having a conversion experience. What we do know is because of his place of prominence and respected leadership, of being a leader among leaders as a Pharisee, he would have been there when they took Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane and they brought him before the high priest, Caiaphas. Remember, the state and the church are one and the same. So who comes to the Garden of Gethsemane to get Jesus? It's the temple guards, the military police. They were one and the same. And they brought him to the temple to be before the high priest, Caiaphas. He'll later go before before Herod, the king, but it's going to go before the high priest first. And who's there with the high priest? All of the leaders of the government, of the church, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. Who's the leader among leaders with the Pharisees? Nicodemus. Nicodemus has seen Jesus do miracle signs and wonders. Nicodemus has had a one-on-one conversation 
that we just read about. Nicodemus, Jesus personally explains and reveals himself to Nicodemus. He hasn't done this to very many people at this point. He, he, he gives him the John 3.16. I mean, he gives him the gospel presentation. This is Billy Graham on steroids, if you would, okay? I mean, it's all right there. And he doesn't accept or reject. He just walks away. You know he's perplexed in his heart because he wants to go with Joseph of Arimathea, who was also a wealthy individual, because people that didn't have any money, they would just kind of cast their bodies out into this, to this almost like this potter's field, this, 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 this place of, of unmarked graves. But, but what they would do with those that had wealth, they, they had their own burial tomb. And so Joseph of Arimathea had his own tomb. He was a man of prominence, and he said, I want Jesus' body to be buried in my tomb. I'll figure the details out. Nicodemus, I'm kind of a bit reading between the lines, is still trying to figure this out, but he wants to go with Joseph Arimathea. Although he's not a follower, he's a fan. He'll pay for what it's going to take to properly bury him. But just less than a week earlier, he's in the room when the temple guards bring Jesus from Gethsemane before Caiaphas, the high priest. He's there when they spat on him. He was in the room when they plucked his beard. He was there when they beat him. And he didn't say one single word. He could have stood up and took all of his political and all of his leadership equity and could have said, this isn't right. He could have walked them from the Old Testament, from Moses, all the way through. He could have stood in the gap, but he remained silent. Fan or follower? How many times have you been in a situation where somebody goes, are you a Christian? No, no, that's not me. How many times when you see something that's happening and you can do something to change it and, and you, it's beating inside of your chest, but yet you remain silent. How many times do we sit there and do we deny who Christ is? Because it's, we're fans. We just show up on Sunday and we, we're consumers and we kind of do this because we know it's the right thing and we want our kids to, to get this. But we really don't want our kids to be followers. Let's don't go crazy with this. Don't go into vocational ministry. Don't go on a mission trip. Don't, you know, really, I mean, I mean, come on. Five questions to ask yourself to define your relationship with Jesus. Question number one, have I made a decision or a commitment to follow Jesus? Have I made a personal decision or commitment to follow Jesus? I didn't ask you if you were raised in the church. I didn't ask you if you were baptized in the church. I didn't ask you if you were confirmed in the church. I didn't ask you what your Protestant or Catholic affiliation is. I, I'm just simply asking, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord? Second question, do I have knowledge about Jesus or do I have intimacy with Jesus? Do I have knowledge about Jesus or do I have intimacy with Jesus? A better way of saying this is not just do I know Jesus, but does Jesus know me? It's like when that familiar voice calls you on the phone, they don't have to introduce themselves. It's your mom, it's your brother, it's your husband, it's your wife, it's your best friend. You know exactly who it is. You can hear that voice anywhere because you know it, because there's a relationship. Third question to define your relationship. Is Jesus one of many or is he your one and only? Is Jesus one of many options in your life? Is he one of many things in your life or is he your one and only? What I'm asking is, is he number one or is he second or third? 
I do this with every married couple uh, or premarital counseling that I do. I, I talk about the cup of your life, and everybody's life is, 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 rel- is basically symbolized by a cup. And you, this is your life. You get to decide what you're going to fill your life with. And if your life is half-filled and, you're, and you're, you're, uh, your fiancé's life is a quarter-filled, guess what? You're going to go to the lowest common denominator. So what's in the cup of your life? Is it money? Is it status? Insecurities? Academic achievement? Jesus? Kind of a combination? Huh, Nicodemus? What's in the cup of your life? Are you listening, Nicodemus? Unless my life is filled 100% with Jesus, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added. Nothing wrong with all the other things. There's nothing wrong with having things, just don't let things have you. Nothing wrong with having a nice car, nothing wrong with going to nice places, nothing wrong with having a nice home. But when those things own you, they're filled with the cup of your life. And Jesus just becomes one of many, not, the, not number one in your life. Fourth question, do I follow Jesus or follow the rules? Do I follow Jesus or do I follow the rules? See, following Jesus is about relationship. Rules are about religion. Rules are I'm going to do everything I need to do so that everybody thinks I'm okay. Forget what people think. Have you not figured that out yet by now? It's kind of liberating. If you live your life for everybody else, you're going to go nuts. I'm telling you, I pastor a church, and everybody in this room has an opinion about what I'm saying today, how I'm dressed today, what I do today, what I drive today, where I go, what I do. And if you don't believe it, just hang around long enough and somebody will be talking about it. No, no, no. Live life for the audience of one. It's very freeing. Because I don't stand before judge before you, and you don't stand in judge before me. We stand in judgment before the Lord. And the question is, am I just trying to follow rules so that I'm doing this dance to make you think everything's okay? Are you just doing this dance so that people think you're okay? You know, you, again, are you a fan or a follower? Following the rules? Oh, we're here. Oh, we give. Oh, we do. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so you can check the boxes? What's about your heart? Because I'm telling you, if you're a rule follower and you're in that room when they're, when they're spitting on Jesus and when they're beating him and when they're tearing him apart, you will sit in silence. And the conviction power of the Holy Spirit will rage inside of you, but you will be numb because you are a fan and not a follower. The last question. Is my life self-empowered or spirit-empowered? Is it about me doing or is it about me being in Jesus? Is it about me or is it about him? Have I come to the place where I palms up, God, I'll go where you want me to go, I'll do what you want me to do, and I'll say what you want me to say? Go, Aaron, you're in ministry. That's pretty simple for you. No, 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 no. We're all in ministry. Have you read the book of Ephesians? We just did a whole series on it. As a Christ follower, you lose your rights, and you're recklessly abandoned to follow Jesus. And God may call you to be an attorney or to be a stay-at-home parent or to be a school teacher, and you're called to the marketplace ministry, or he calls you to be a minister or a missionary, and you're called to vocational ministry. We are all called. Businesswoman, have you surrendered that to him? Sir, have you surrendered it to him? Fan or follower, you define the relationship today.